welcome to We Are Water, a podcast by Beaver Watershed Alliance. With this podcast, we hope to encourage conversations about conservation through talks with our partners, landowners, and from our fieldwork. Joining us today is Dirk Phillip from the University of Arkansas to speak with us about silvopasture. Dirk has worked with the University and the Washington County Extension Office to not only educate landowners, but to conduct research on the U of A's experimental farm as well. All right, Dirk, well, thank you for coming on and joining me today. And as you know, today we'll be discussing silvopasture. So if you maybe just want to briefly describe uh, your area of focus and your background, maybe how you came to this topic, that'd be great. Yeah, so I'm here an associate professor for forages at the Animal Science Department at the University of Arkansas. And the, uh, for some time now, I have uh, worked in the area of civil pasture and agroforestry. Based on a grant we got several years ago, the um, with a cooperator from the UCA station in in Boonville, Arkansas, and I was exposed to civil pasture and agroforestry actually already decades ago. I hold a degree in tropical agriculture from a university in Germany, and traveling around the tropics and also working in the tropics, including. Nicaragua and a few other countries in Central and South America, they are, these silver pasture and aquaforestry activities are uh, widespread in those geographic regions based on the availability of different tree species you can use for establishing such systems. And uh, so over time, I never lost really the interest several a few years ago i never lost that interest and we have a small area on our research farm here in arkansas i mean in fadeville right in the middle of town and that area is not very large it's maybe 10 acres total and we added an open area to it to make some to do some research on how that compares with or without the trees and i'm not a pi that that means if the 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 principal investigator for that particular area but um, several years ago, someone from Boonville approached me with a grant if I would be willing to take part in it. And that's what we did. So we have a quite a comprehensive study going on in, in Boonville where we come, where we have under the forge plantings on the pine trees and um, uh, planting in hardwood areas and in, in where we establish forage plots. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, aside from your work in Boonville, could you maybe give us a kind of a baseline definition of what is silvopasture? Because um, I think a lot of our landowners and producers in the watershed might be unfamiliar with that topic. Yeah, they are the definition of an agroforestry or silvopastoral system is actually pretty wide. So you use trees in conjunction with whatever other plantings in between with the goal of um, enhancing your economic base and uh, increase your return and maybe increase your cash flow and make use of trees and then other plants at the same time. So when you, whenever you look it up, the definition it may not have been so scientific what I gave you right now, but about the, um, I, the way I see it, is you simply make use of all the plants you have available and then the tree is a plant. So there are some people, if you talk to some foresters say, no, it doesn't work. And, and because 
on if you use trees, those are long-term income. And when you have forages or any other crops in between the trees, those are short-term income. So to link them, to make it work over time, it's certainly not easy, simply because when you start out and plant trees, you do not have a silver pasture or agroforestry system. You have to wait several decades sometimes to, to get that. That's why I mentioned that. In, in the tropics, it's way easier because you have way more tree species you can you can use. They they grow much faster to establish their systems. So to in, in terms of several pasture system or several pastoral system, that is particularly or specifically a system where you use trees and grow forage in between. We can graze animals. So and uh, that again is it's fairly widespread. Normally, we think about those systems as a structure, but but by definition, which can be stretched pretty far. If you have trees dotting a landscape, that's certainly not a silver pasture system. But as soon as you put some structure to it, I mean, planting them in a row or thinning some hardwood areas and 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 planting forages inside that that might work. Okay, so you're kind of creating a system within itself, you know, everything's linked together and organized. Yeah, um, I'm always bit, we, we use the, the, the word system all the time. We, we use system for something if we have one or two species, then we, we call that a system, then we call a system if you have 15 or 50 species. A system normally in that particular sense is what what the outcome, what is the outcome for the producer? What system so to speak does he want to work under with a certain outcome in mind and then you have certain methods to apply to that system like raising methods or planning methods establishing methods and so forth the uh the, the idea with the silver pasture system is if you're in an environment that has already natural a lot of trees so to how to combine them to the benefit of the livestock or whatever you want to grow in between the trees or the tree rows. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like there's a lot of flexibility for landowners given their property and what they want. So that's always kind of something that we're looking for and techniques to to give them a lot of options, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so kind of talking about the landowners' benefits and what they're wanting to get out of that property, what are some inputs versus benefits? So I know you've talked about increasing whatever uh, you know, plants you already have there, but what are some, what are some of the changes that they have to make and then the goals that they should be shooting for benefits that they'll reap later? Yeah, that is a, um, that can be difficult to answer simply because it depends on what the producer or the landowner has in mind long-term. If you establish forages in a wooded area let's say you start out with a what we may call native hardwood forest here in arkansas so those those tree species and that forest are maybe mainly oak hackberry or, or sycamore whatever depending on the area where that is and but mainly it is a i think it's classified the forest in arkansas is um, oak hickory uh right yes. um forest and so if you thin that out you have to thin that to a certain level you get enough light in that you actually can grow something and whatever you plant in that in that forest 
can be competitive or can compete with everything else that comes in. And then this question is still, well, how does it uh, work under grazing? So the first challenge you have is to plant it in there. And then the challenge is what happens, what are the grazing dynamics? Are they being grazed down too quickly maybe so they don't regrow or um, can you actually uh, plant enough area that you actually get something out of it? Because beyond that, as I said, it can be stretched. And so cattle hang out. I've seen cattle hanging out in, in, in wooded area, but you can't necessarily, it, I have a hard time calling it a silver pasture area because simply you have to get some like production out of it, some, some benefit or what you can put the number to it, economic benefit. Now, if you start out the other way around, then then there's certainly a long-term commitment. And the, the easiest, the easier way is of course to convert that backwards. So you already have a forest, and then you you structure the forest so that you can do something underneath. Or if you have a pine tree plantation, and usually after 10 to 15 years, they are being thinned as well, not on purpose, but simply because they have to be thinned to make that the remaining pine trees grow in a way that you get a commercial benefit from it. That is a very good opportunity. And we got questions from, from producers in, in Southern Arkansas that like to do that because they want to take advantage of that. Usually there are maybe 50 to 60 feet or even more narrow where you can plant something in it. If you start from scratch, well, that's a very different question. But um, I've seen systems actually in in central europe like germany specifically where they deliberately plant trees in rows as it as you would do it and leave certain spaces in between and those can be 50 to 100 feet or whatever so they use them as windbreaks primarily but those are species that maybe that can be used later on maybe for something for furniture or you know for, for, for timber whatever you call that technically the term or some food trees, I forgot where exactly what those species are, but you can do that and and apply that definition to it. So you do not have to have a field, a, a 200 acre field, and there's a single crop on it. You can plant trees, and then after several years or so, you, you have those trees in a row, and you get benefits from it. It doesn't have to be necessarily then obviously livestock grazing. But that is a that the first question the producer has to come up with what actually what should be the outcome or what is this kind of what is his goal a little bit and then by the way since the uh, we want to talk about maybe something about the repair and area later on so that actually qualifies as a silvo pasture system as well if you let cattle in they are grazing infrequently that that would qualify as a aquaforestal silvo pasture system Okay, and what are maybe some of the different techniques that you need to use if you have a riparian area? Because a lot of landowners do have some sort of riparian area in the watershed, um, and could that maybe present a different variable for them to have to consider? Yeah, the um, um, it depends how much you want to make use of that. If you if your riparian area is just is almost non-existent like is unfortunately the case in, in many farms, then obviously you, you you treat it like what your pasture all the way going to the creek. But if you have a, uh, a riparian area that's very wide, 100 or 200 or even more feet, then you can deliberately either plant in those areas 
for your grazing purposes. So, hey, I don't think it doesn't work that well because you you have too many obstacles in the way. But for your grazing, then you can you can let that uh, grow up on its own and graze maybe once or twice a year, depending on the situation. So normally they shouldn't be grazed when it's really wet and cold, of course, right? Because then you do that with the most damage to repair areas. But if you do that during the summertime when you let it grow up and then you move them in and out fairly quickly, that is an option for for doing that. Okay. Yeah, so really it depends on what kind of operation they're running, um, you know, haying versus grazing and everything. So, um, and, you know, kind of related to that riparian area, I'm sure that it helps a lot with erosion having um, the trees and different species planted around the riparian area. Um, and so, you know, with that kind of in mind, what are some soil and water health benefits that come from a silvopasture technique in a, either a riparian area or just in general? Yeah, the, uh, that again depends. So, so the, main, the main advantage is certainly that you create a very different microclimate than what you would have without the trees. And, and that that can go either way. So some of the silver pasture system or agroforestry system here in the, the US, of which are actually not all that many, as I said, because it's always limited by the species, what you can do with it and how you can market the tree species. I mean, many are actually simply wind breaks. So you, you would uh, reduce wind erosion Although sometimes there are areas where you don't really have all that uh, exposure of topsoil, like, you know, when you go out more to the semi-arid or arid areas of the Western US, then, then you have a lot of wind erosion, but you, you have not a whole lot of ability to grow trees, right? But but in the Midwest, in the in the formerly native prairie areas, then you have a lot of wind too. And then that breaking the wind down obviously has and makes it more more acceptable that the microclimate or whatever you want to do or you keep animals or whatever and then but the main thing is to reduce the uh, evaporation so that means if you shade an area then you increase the uh, or you you decrease exposure to soil and that in turn which is the main driver for evaporation you increase you decrease the wind speed which is a driver of operation. So you keep soil water more where it's supposed to be. And we've seen that with studies growing clovers in, in pine tree rows, where you really could see the clover stops growing where the sun then penetrates the, the, the alleyways, depending you know, on the direction, all that. So that's the main effect. Normally, introduced forage species we use are uh not surprisingly coming from europe i mean like bermuda grass is from africa originally and and, and johnson grass which is considered a weed in certain circumstances those are the exceptions but most of the introduced forages we use are so-called cool season forages that means they like to grow during the cooler times of the year or they like to grow up to a certain temperature they, again it, it's that can be a stretch if you have the water availability then they grow they, they can grow almost indefinitely but most of the time it's so it simply is getting too hot during the summertime and then they stop growing for example tall fescue or the the orchard grass so now you can grow those very well in silver pasture systems simply because you create a microclimate 
that lowers the temperature and reduces the evaporation. So that's actually the main, the main advantage of it. There are studies in Missouri where they have a, Missouri is one of the states, one of the few states actually that have a, that had or still have some agroforestry programs and they used walnuts or pecan trees, something so you can use as a cash, cash crop and let cattle graze in and out and showed that, yes, you have some reduction in, in overall um, gain, I believe, because cattle graze less, they may be prone more standing in shade or you do not have as much forage mass accumulating within the trees. But that is all evened out with with other factors. So you, you you basically get the same gain per area, or let's say you get the same return per area if you have the inside or outside the treated area. So it's, it's essentially a, I wouldn't call it a trade-off. That might be a wrong uh, term to use it. But as I said, sometimes people see it really rigidly. They say, okay, I do not want to have anything in the way of grazing cattle. So yeah, if I have to provide shade, then I provide shade versus other people. People they say, okay, yeah, I want to make sure the um, from a well-being standpoint. Although outside without the trees is not bad for the animal well-being necessarily, but if you if you put animals into a shaded area, well, there is some reduction in production simply because they are not forced to walk around all the time and graze all the time you'd be more prone to live some time without necessarily grazing. So you see that then over time, maybe in, in some slight reduction of animal gain, in weight gain, and but that is then maybe set off whatever returns you have from the silver pasture system. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it kind of goes back to that landowner goals. You know, mm -hmm. if they're wanting to graze and there's these options, if they're not, um, you know, there's other options. But it seems like it kind of creates multiple opportunities for financial gain and for um, getting more out of the land per se if you're you know if you have a, a timber operation with it too or even like you mentioned with the walnut or pecan trees having kind of um, another path for income it seems mm -hmm. um, so that's really great and you know uh, going back to the walnut or pecan um, trees is there maybe other native species that are commonly used or that landowners would have good access to in northwest arkansas yeah um what we uh, showcase here on our research form where we have pecan or walnut and the walnuts have been replaced by other biomass crops like biomass trees like sycamore and poplar and in cottonwood i mean poplar species cottonwood and then oak tree oak trees that to show, okay, you can have such a system, but but the uh, whatever you tree your plant or tree groups, it may be very specific and maybe that return may be very long term. So, like in the case of oak, I think that's used for for your timber for furniture or whatever. And then the 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 sycamore that was meant to be a biomass crop. No matter what you think about now about the entire topic, using biomass and in, in for energy generation and so forth, and then. The bottom part of that entire area is, is the pecan. And I think that's the uh, pretty much the only tree I can think of that would work where you have a, a defined return 
a free, uh, I mean, a, a, a defined time. So every year you have a pecan harvest and you can market that and you can easily create cattle underneath. So you have to wait certainly five to eight years till you can let them into that area. Otherwise, they may they may damage the trees too much. But beyond that time period, yes, you have a this double income, at least from those two different crops you, from the pecan and then you have that crop so to speak if you're your calf crop or whatever your cattle operation you have underneath yeah yeah and so you know kind of talking about what you mentioned the eight to nine year return on that uh how sustainable have you seen this or have you even gone out and recommended this to any landowners based off of your findings from your research yeah it, obviously it um, but what is ecologically sustainable and economically sustainable and then all that then has to be socially sustainable. It depends again how you define that. I think those systems are more resilient and therefore they become more sustainable over time because simply you diversify your income. So even if you if you do not have an immediate income from your trees, you have the benefits from having the trees around. From a from creating a better microclimate, you you may you may protect your the forages or whatever you grow inside in between the rows um, from from drought periods like we had or still have in in, in Arkansas. Then um, for planning for that for planning the income that is more more difficult to do simply because you have to make a you have to have a long term plan. That means if you if you plant the trees and you may get the first harvest after not really sure how that would be with the pecan or walnut or so how many years you may get a let's say five to ten years or something like that, and then you have the 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 harvest every year, the uh, that is a generational thing. So you you would have to think really long term, what is it for your children or whatever or even grandchildren. So that obviously makes it sustainable very long term. So I've seen around town you know, even walnut or pecan plantings that uh, they're obviously in operation for a fairly long time. So you can easily graze cattle underneath those those operations if you want to do that. So overall, yes, I think it becomes more sustainable just simply by the by making the system more diverse. And um, then obviously from an ecological standpoint, you have other effects that make it more sustainable from that perspective, like wildlife, habitat, um, cover for, for different species, all those effects that you wouldn't necessarily have if you just have a plain field that is being hayed or being grazed. Yeah, yeah. So it's very multifaceted in that even just talking about sustainability is multifaceted, but then mm -hmm. silvopasture itself is as well. So there's a lot, a lot to kind of take in for that. And so, you know, with this knowledge that, you know, landowners have gained from this, what are maybe some tips and resources that they have to get started on this? I would start out with making an assessment what exactly you want to want, what do you want to, what is your goal? So, and obviously that's kind of, your goal is may not necessarily be uh, making a lot of money off it, but but your your goal may be just to diversify your operation or to diversify your farm, and then you have to make an assessment what kind of area who has part pasture and part 
woodlands. So the woodlands is on a, on a on a hillside, and obviously it's it's not that easy, or it's more difficult than usual to plant some forages somewhere inside those woodlands. So in that particular case, you would have to make the decision: Do you just want to provide some shade for your cattle? Do you just want to provide some area for the cattle during the summer heat to hang out and, and to loaf? That is perfectly fine, and that would fall under that actually that that the definition validates the silver pasture system because you provide something to the cattle or to your grazing animals you wouldn't be able to provide otherwise. So if you're for more from a active standpoint, if you want to plant new trees, yeah, then then you have to think about it, what exactly you want to do with those trees 25 to 50 years down the road. But in terms of resources, yeah, first of all, you probably have to make up your mind what exactly you want to you want to do, which direction you want to go. And then resources, yes, the uh, the extension service can help you. We have fact sheets on what the repairing areas and then what forages you want to plant in the alleyways, planting techniques, and there are fact sheets available for that. The best way forward for someone who wants to make that step and establish something on their property is to simply pick up the phone and call someone from the university who works with that or from the extension service to simply to come come out and look at that property and say so i would sort small and in terms of getting help as i said organizations like the beaver watershed alliance perfect perfectly fine to to talk to you and get some inf information and then you can go online you have to be aware of the sources obviously but there's terrific resources to be found online you know they come from universities or and hopefully um, i'll be able to post some uh, information from the extension office and the university and uh, contacts for landowners to be able to talk to somebody if, uh, if that's available mm -hmm. and unless you have you know anything else that you'd like to add um, I think that we've we've got we've given them a lot to work. Okay. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dirk. And hopefully, mm -hmm. we'll be able to speak to you um, again about some other topics. You're welcome. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening, and a big thank you to Dirk for coming on as a guest. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, and don't forget to keep an eye out for future content.